Well, our scripture reading this morning is from the Gospel of Luke, and you can use your Bibles or follow along on the screens. I'll be reading verses 14 through 30 from chapter 4 in the New International Version. Jesus returned to Galilee in the power of the Spirit, and news about him spread through the whole countryside. He was teaching in their synagogues, and everyone praised him. He went to Nazareth, where he had been brought up, and on the Sabbath day he went into the synagogue, as was his custom. He stood up to read, and the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was handed to him. Unrolling it, he found the place where it is written, The Spirit of the Lord is on me, because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind, to set the oppressed free, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Then he rolled up the scroll, gave it back to the attendant, and sat down. The eyes of everyone in the synagogue were fastened on him. He began by saying to them, Today, this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. All spoke well of him and were amazed at the gracious words that came from his lips. Isn't this Joseph's son, they asked? Jesus said to them, surely you will quote this proverb to me. Physician, heal that yourself, and you will tell me, do here in your hometown what we have heard that you did in Capernaum. Truly I say to you, he continued, no prophet is accepted in his hometown. I assure you that there were many widows in Israel in Elijah's time when the sky was shut for three and a half years and there was a severe famine throughout the land. Yet Elijah was not sent to any of them, but to a widow in Zarephath in the region of Sidon. And there were many in Israel with leprosy in the time of Elisha the prophet. Yet not one of them was cleansed, only Naaman the Syrian. All the people in the synagogue were furious when they heard this. They got up, drove him out of town, and took him to, to the brow of a hill on which the town was built in order to throw him off the cliff. But he walked right through the crowd and went on his way. The word of the Lord. Now? Ah. Yeah, it's my fault, Carl. I'll take the fall. Hey, it's good to see you all. Um, there's a couple of questions that I want to begin with this morning before we move through this text. First question is this. How close do you want to get to Jesus? And the reason I ask that question is because Jesus is a healer. And the closer you move into the way of Jesus, the closer you get to Jesus, the more you will discover that Jesus wants to heal you heal you emotionally, physically, spiritually. There's all these things inside of us that Jesus wants to get to and heal so that we can become our more whole versions of ourselves made in his image and in his likeness. And as we move towards Jesus, the, the invitation to change will increase. And what I have discovered about human beings is that we would soon rather die than change. So how close do you want to get? as we move into Jesus. One of the questions that I oftentimes 
ask myself when Jesus is teaching in his parables and when Jesus is interacting with people is what's the question under the question that Jesus asks? I always want to know, like, what's, what's going on underneath the surface? Because there's a lot of movement in the nuances of Jesus and his ministry. And so when Jesus is teaching his parables and when Jesus is inviting us to look at the world through his perspective, one of the overarching questions that I see throughout the whole narrative of the scriptures is this, question number two, what makes you think the world is the way you see it? Tough questions, right? How close do you want to get to Jesus and what makes you think the world is the way you see it? Let's pray for a moment. Jesus, as we enter into this week, inauguration week, and we think of all the chaos swirling around, and we think of the political unrest, and we think of chaos even in our own families and division happening over what side we take or what side we refuse to take or where we align ourselves, would you help us as your people in this place not to be a people who overreact And we don't want to be just reactionary people to everything always operating under the tyranny of the urgent, but we want to be people who move with wisdom and calm and steadiness and with a settled sense of you've got us right where you want us. You are holding things together, and so we want to step in further into your way and not our way. Help us to realign, to remember, to reorient ourselves around the way of Jesus Give us the courage to move in closer this morning. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. This is uh, an interesting sermon that Jesus has given to the people in his hometown. I think you could call it uh, Jesus' inaugural sermon. Interesting timing that we're moving into the inauguration of of a new president, a new transition of power, and here's Jesus as he's getting ready to launch into his mission and in the world, making people aware that the kingdom of God is now here. Jesus gives us laser focus of what he is up to in the world. And so as he moves into the world and begins to deal with humanity and all the broken systems that he's looking at, Jesus invites us into a particular way. And so this is like Jesus' inaugural sermon in Luke chapter 4. And the setting is we are in the Sabbath. This is the Sabbath day. Jesus is in his hometown, and as was his custom, Jesus goes into the synagogue, and he's invited to read the scroll that day. Now keep in mind, as a side note, Word about Jesus had been swirling around, as the text points out. Luke makes mention that Jesus' fame is growing, he's healing people, he's casting out demons, he's doing miraculous signs and wonders. So there's lots of spin around Jesus, this rabbi. And here he comes back to his hometown, and he's invited to give the sermon. And so he reads out of the text of Isaiah, and then he reads it, rolls up the scroll, and then hands it back to the attendant, as was the custom, and then he sits down. And as he sits down, every eye in the place is glued on Jesus. Like, what is he going to say next? This dynamic rabbi who's doing things that we haven't seen in a long time. He's, he's stirring things up. People's uh, uh, craziness about him is just flying through the roof. There's all kinds of excitement and amazement over who this person is, and then he just drops the mic in a moment. 
and check out what he says. Today, this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. People lose their minds. They're amazed. They love what he had to say. This guy from, from our hometown is the prophet that we've all been waiting for. Could it be possible that this is going to put us on the map? Nazareth. Nazareth, the place that had a reputation for being subpar, just a podunk town, not a highly educated people, but a marginalized people, an oppressed people, people on the outside of any political sway or religious institutional sway. And Jesus, our our hometown hero, has come in to set things right. He's the long-awaited Messiah that we've been waiting for. And the people have all of these messianic expectations of what the Messiah was going to do. The Jews at this time are under political unrest. They are under Roman oppression. And so as God brings in the Messiah, maybe now God will lead us through the Messiah to overthrow Rome, to put us back into a position of power, to make our nation great, to put us right back into the center of influence, and he's going to do that through the Messiah. The text even tells us at the end of Isaiah that this is the year of the Lord's favor, and it is upon us. And so when Jesus says, today this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing, it's like, oh my gosh, we're getting the band back together. It's, it's about to go down. We can overthrow Rome. God is on our side. How can we lose? And then Jesus sits down. And you're like, uh-oh, he's sitting down. As was the custom after you read the text, the, the teacher would sit, the rest of the, the remaining audience would be standing. How, how about that for a, for a trade? I sit, you stand. And he, and he enters into part two of his sermon because they didn't hear part one. And the reason why we know they didn't hear part one is that they actually liked his sermon. They loved it. And what happens is, is that as you begin to see that how Jesus understands and interprets the bigger story of God, and when you realize that his idea of how we read the scriptures and how we read God's bigger story doesn't align with our idea of God's bigger story of how we read the text, the audience loses their mind. Because what happens when our ideas of reality don't align with Jesus' ideas of reality? How close do you want to get? It's that old adage, it's like, we're all in with the way of Jesus as long as, right? We're all in as long as, and we all have that narrative that goes on inside of us. I'm all in as long as you meet my expectations. There always seems to be some form of conditions attached to our allegiance to Jesus and his way of life. And the question I ask myself and I ask you is, do we have the the ability and the humility to ask ourselves, where are we missing it? Where might we not be seen clearly? And how do we then respond and change? And do we have the courage to realign ourselves around the way of Jesus and around his purposes in the world? Do we have enough self-awareness? Jesus then launches into part two of his sermon because they didn't hear part one. And he brings up two very respectable prophets in Israel's story, Elijah and Elisha. These are like mainstays. These are big players in the game. 
And he reminds everyone listening of these two prophets and then that Elijah came for the widow of Zarephath and that of all the widows in that day, God only sent him to this one widow who didn't have the resources to influence anything and yet God sends Elijah to this widow. And then he takes it even further and he says, Elisha, he came for Naaman the Syrian who had leprosy. Even though all kinds of people had leprosy, he sent him to Naaman, a Gentile, not even, not even a Jew, not part of the God's divine appointed nation of Israel. He sends them to a Gentile. And after they hear this part of the sermon, then they want to kill him. Is that, how, is that how you know you've preached a really good sermon, if the people want to kill you? And you wonder, wow, what is it that they heard? Why this response? Luke makes mention, and I think it's really key, he makes mention in verse 28 that when they heard this, when they reacted. The first part, they didn't hear, because there's hearing, and then there's hearing. Are you with me? It's like we might use the expression, I see what you're saying. And what we, what we understand when we say that is I, I'm really getting it. I'm beginning to see exactly what you're saying Hearing is also connected to seeing, but it's also connected to obedience. So if we hear something, that means we will realign our lives in accordance to what we just heard. We come back to the question, how close to Jesus do you want to get? And why are they angry? What are they angry about? I mean, these are people who are steeped in the Old Testament narrative. They know the text really well. They know the Torah. They know Elijah. They know Elisha. They already knew about the widow of Zarephath. They knew about Naaman the Syrian. They knew that God's intent for the nation of Israel was to be a blessing to all the nations. That that wide, expansive, inclusive, all-loving nature of who God is, that his love continues to expand and grow for all the nations, but it was to be done through Israel. I think they knew that. I think they knew the story. I think they had forgotten the story because now they're becoming even more insular. And what happens many times when we forget about the bigger purposes of God in the world, we can become very insular and we start to self-protect and we start to close down the doors and we just get in with one another and we just align with one another, but we forget about the way of Jesus. And I think what Jesus is doing and what he's saying here is that God's blessing is coming but it's not going to come upon you. Now, you think about how much that would tick you off. God's blessing is coming, but not for you. You all have been excluding people, and now you're about to experience exclusion. And this enraged them. So the Messiah, it became crystal clear that he was not going to meet their expectations. And what happens when our messianic expectations don't align with God's idea of what that looks like in the world? What happens when the listener who reads the scripture differently than Jesus himself, realizing that Jesus interprets the bigger story differently than we do, how do we then respond to that and the accusations start to fly, the screws come loose and they want to take them out and push them off a cliff? And I've seen it over and over and over again in my own life. When our precious ideas of what we think God is up to in the world are challenged, many times the screws come loose. But check out verse 30, and I love this. 
It says in verse 30, as they took him out to the end of the hill to push him off, he kept going, is what the text says. Jesus just kept on going. Now, after sitting with this account this week, I stepped back and I asked myself a really hard question. And I want to invite you into the question because misery loves company, right? Where, where would I have been standing that day? And where would you have been standing that day? How close do you want to get to Jesus? Would I have been willing to keep on going with Jesus in that moment, even though my tribe, my people, my family, all were ready to throw him off the hill because it didn't align? Would I have had the courage and the strength to say, I'm going to follow Jesus all the way to Jerusalem because now Jesus has got like crystal clear laser focus. He's going somewhere. His, his task ahead of him is crystal clear. He's got to get to Jerusalem. How close do I want to get? And would I have been willing to walk with him all the way to the cross? As, as a devout Jew, somebody who loves the scriptures, somebody who wanted to follow the laws of God, if I had been there that day, what would I have seen and would I have had the courage to walk all the way with Jesus? And if I did, what would I see as the days unfolded ahead? As I walked with Jesus, I can imagine one day I'm walking with Jesus and this Roman centurion comes up to him. Now, it's about to get real. This Roman centurion represented the oppressor. Uh, it represented the other side. We, we think about a, a Roman centurion would be like a modern-day police officer in our context. Now, there's lots of heat around police today in our vernacular, the things that we're talking about, and depending on what side you fall on, there's all kinds of ideas of what the police are and what they represent and what we should do. But they're still fellow citizens of our country. But if you think about the reality, what if the police force here in America were our enemy from a nation that was our enemy? What then, how would we respond? If officers of the law were oppressing us, they had their boots on our neck, they were making our way of life even more difficult, what would they have said? What would we have done? How would we respond to these particular ways? Imagine the Roman centurion coming up to Jesus that day and asking Jesus, Jesus, my servant is paralyzed and suffering. I need your help. This big powerful officer who had the power and the authority to just say things to all of his servants and they just jumped as high as he asked them to jump and they moved where he told them to move. He had all of this authority and Jesus responds, and I wonder how we would respond when Jesus responds, oh, well, let's go to your house. And you're like, no, 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 you, you can't go to his house. This is the enemy. You can't, you can't love your enemies. This big, powerful office comes to Jesus and says, I, I want you to heal my servant. No, Jesus, let him suffer. They, they've been oppressing us. Don't do this. And Jesus says, how about I come over to your house? And the officer responds, I don't deserve this. I don't deserve to have you come under my roof. I'm a man of great power, but all you have to do is say the word and he will be healed. <laughs> you think about this and then Jesus' response is staggering. He says, 
I haven't found anyone in Israel with this much faith. Oh, here I am, a devout Jew. Here I am with Christ, this Messiah, and he says, I haven't found anyone with this much faith in all of Israel. Do you feel the offense of that? Ah. At that point, would you turn around and go home? Would you say, "Mm, that's taking it too far? Would you have been like me? Would you have been like me many times? I have found myself standing there wondering, "Mm, if I'm honest with myself, I probably would have been standing in the crowd that day with my family, with my people, because I want the stability I want the paycheck, I want my friends, I want the community, I want to be around people who think like me, who vote like me, who look like me, who act like me. I want to be around that comfort who see reality the way that I see reality. And that's why stories like this really upset me. That's why sometimes I like choosing my own sermons because then I can control the narrative. We are moving through what is called the lectionary. I don't get to choose the passage of scripture that I have to teach from. My first sermon at Evergreen Covenant Church was on Jesus as a 12-year-old boy. I'm like, what? How do I move into that? And what I'm discovering is that what happens is that the text actually ends up choosing you. You don't choose it. And it causes us to look at things. That day in Nazareth, when that 9 o'clock service went up, People were pumped because the premier rabbi of the day was about to bust into the scene. And part one was incredible. But part two, you're like, nope, I'm out. And the ones who were excluding were now being excluded. And it gets back to that question, how close to Jesus do we want to get? And as we move through the Gospel of Luke, all the way up to Easter Sunday and Resurrection Sunday, we're going to continue bumping up against Jesus. And we're going to bump up into his way. And we're going to have to begin addressing the question as a community, how close do we want to get? And do we have the courage to realign ourselves around the way of Jesus? Because what makes you think the world is the way you see it? So Jesus, we pause And we ask you, as you move us deeper into your way, that you would remember your mercy, that you would remember your grace, that you would remember your gentleness as you lead us in your way, as you call us into a deeper sense of what it means to follow you. May we be a people who have the courage to say yes to that. Yes to your way. Yes to the hard parts of life. Yes to the challenge. Yes to the things that you're asking us to change, even if it means death to our way. Help us surrender. Help us move in closer to your heart and your desires. Give us strength and courage now. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Receive the benediction as you go and walk in the way of Jesus today. Now may the Lord God bless you. May he keep you. May he cause his face to shine upon you. And what I know about Jesus is that as you move in closer, you will be met with delight.
You will change. You will be transformed. But you will be met with delight. And may he lift up his countenance upon you and give you his deep shalom. Go now in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Grace and peace be with you.